Hello, 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 and welcome to the 20th episode and first for 2018 of the Economical Rice Podcast. I'm your host, Danny, and over here, we have to serve you the grains of capitalism. Now, for many people in society, playing sports is a fantastic way to keep yourself active and healthy against the more sedentary aspects of our lives, such as work and school. And certainly, there's nothing quite like kicking a football of your friends or mixing it up in a basketball game after sitting in the office for 10 or more hours during the day. However, while we constantly hear about the benefits and wonders of sports and exercise, very little is said about the economics of playing sports for the individual. For instance, football can improve your cardiovascular health and relieve much stress, but getting 22 people to commit 2 hours of their day amidst their countless obligations can be nigh impossible. And this is even before we consider the scarcity of playing fields such as in such a small country such as Singapore, or the cost to play, which includes purchasing the necessary equipment such as boots, socks, clothes, and the like. In economics, these nagging issues are typically referred to as market frictions. In general, frictions can be anything that reduces access or makes it difficult for an individual to utilize a good, which is notorious because it siphons away benefits to be had from the individual, which in the case of sports could be fitness, stress reduction, enjoyment of the game, and so on. To take another sport for example, consider the game of tennis, which will be the focus of the episode. While tennis is a great full-body exercise that can help develop the player's stamina, dexterity, and agility, it is perceived to be somewhat of a, quote, rich man's game. The reason why this is so is because, for one, tennis courts are relatively scarce. You mostly find them in private condominiums and country clubs rather than under HDV blocks where you tend to see basketball courts or street soccer cages. Moreover, there is a steep learning curve involved in mastering the different stances, swings, and strokes before you can rally at a competent level, which requires committing time and resources which not everyone can afford. Lastly, even if you find a court and have committed the hours towards training, you still need a hitting partner, and ideally one that is similar to your playing level, mind you, which is a problem that is compounded by the other frictions involved. The combined effect of these frictions, then, is to increase the upfront cost of tennis, making the game less accessible to individuals relative to other sports, and reducing the value that the sport can offer to individuals. This can also help explain why, on a global scale, the tennis market is much smaller than the football market, and why, on a local level, less people play tennis as compared to other sports such as football. Fortunately, just because frictions exist, doesn't mean that nothing can be done about it. And within society, we have a variety of individuals who thrive on solving problems and removing frictions, otherwise known as entrepreneurs. Today, I am incredibly grateful to be able to interview one such entrepreneur, Ritesh Angaral, founder of the incredibly useful app Rovo, which serves as a platform whereby individuals can easily find other players to play sports with for tennis, badminton, or squash. Looking at Ritesh's background, it can seem almost inevitable that he would go on to create the Robo app. His education involved four years in computer engineering in NUS, which included a stint with the NUS Overseas College program, where he spent some time at Stanford University studying courses in technopreneurship, management science, and engineering. Following this, Ritesh went on to co-found his first app, Shutterpair, before spending a few years at local online supermarket Redmart, 
where he would hone his skills in various engineering and managerial roles. Finally, in June of 2017, Ritesh would launch Rovo with three other co-founders, where he still is today. In this episode, we will be covering Ritesh's foundational years and how that experience led to creating Rovo, the challenges and approaches taken in developing an app, and how the app revolutionizes and creates value for amateur players. Without further ado, let's get on to the interview. Ritesh, welcome to the show. Thanks, Danny. I'm very happy to be here. All right, so let's get on. And first off, I noticed that you did your undergraduate in computer engineering in NUS. So why did you choose to study this particular field? I mean, were you already passionate about the topic before you entered university? Interestingly, I wasn't. So Hmm. like most teenagers at that time, I sort of figuring myself out, didn't know what I want to do. Yeah. Uh, And back then, I used to like cars a lot. Yeah. So I actually wanted to do mechanical engineering. Hmm. Um, it was my dad actually who convinced me to go and pick up computer engineering instead mm. because he saw the potential of you know what technology would bring mm. uh, and I was actually unhappy about it in the beginning uh, <laughs> really? because I really like cars but in hindsight I'm really glad it worked out that way mm. uh, in fact when I think about it now back then I used to spend a lot of time building websites with mm. Dreamweaver and things like that but somehow I never really correlated it to picking computer engineering mm. it, yeah, you see, see, that's the thing with like uh, fields such as computer science, computer engineering, is that, you know, for example, my brother takes, my, my brother is currently doing a, a minor in computer engineering, right? And he has no prior experience coding or building websites. He finds it absolutely horrible. It's like starting from the ground up, he's finding it really difficult to, to catch up with his fellow peers and stuff. So, you know, I find it interesting that uh, you have, you have had some sort of like background or practice developing this sort of thing. So what, you know, what kind of websites or what kind of things did you do uh, before you, you yeah. entered university? Really random stuff. You know, I would build a website for soccer team Juventus yeah. <laughs> or a TV show that I'm watching, which yeah. really didn't make sense. Sometimes I'll just take websites and try and, try and copy it mm. uh, just for fun. Mm. Um, and, you know, this actually reminds me of uh, this Dilbert comic strip that I came across. Yeah. So this is how it goes is, you know, this mom, he, she goes into a, to the doctor's office and yeah. then she says, hey, hey, my son, he uh, is constantly, he has a disease. He's constantly breaking apart and putting stuff together. Yeah. Uh, and then the doctor turns to her and says, I'm sorry, there's no cure for this. Your son is an engineer. <laughs> <laughs> and like, that's, that's what I was. Um, yeah. When I was young, I used to break apart my toy, toy cars or anything and put them back together yeah. the same day that, I, that my parents bought it for me. Yeah. And then later on, when I got computers and I tried to break apart stuff and like websites, was the most intuitive thing to break apart thanks yeah. to like uh, software like Dreamweaver. Mm. Yeah. Um, so so yeah. so yeah. And so in some sense, you know, you telling this story about about you know, your 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 inclination towards breaking things up and, and putting them back again sounds like you have sort of an aptitude towards like uh, engineering and stuff. It's just, it's just that before you enter university, you prefer cars rather than computers. Yeah, yeah. But, but your dad somehow managed to conv- yeah. convince you around. All right. So and. Um, Further adding to your educational experience, you also spent some time at the NUS Overseas College Program. So, yeah. what was your experience like at Stanford? And you know, can you perhaps share some of the key takeaways yeah, that you showed? Sure. So, the, the the first thing I'd say is like NOC is quite possibly one of the best decisions I made. Hmm. Like, 
Um, so in terms of like getting started back in the second year of my university, there was this talk by one of the alumni who, who had gone on this program. Yeah. And so the NOC overseas, NUS Overseas Colleges Program or NOC mm-hmm. is basically a program where students can spend one year, six months to a year abroad in entrepreneurial hubs around the world mm. uh, and Silicon Valley was is one of the hubs mm. uh, so the when the alumni was talking about it all the Im- ingredients right I was immediately sold mm. you know it was in Silicon Valley which is like a mecca as a if you're a computer engineer yeah um, you get to travel you get to get away from home and yeah. your parents you yeah. get your own house <laughs> you get to you know drive a car yeah. and like in, in US cars are cheap so you know, you can, <laughs> like not compared to Singapore yeah um, you get to study at Stanford mm. uh, and you know it, it was building upon this fantasy that all of us have of being your own boss mm. uh, and so I was immediately sold then but the thing was, it's it's very tough to get in. Mm. Uh, and I thought I'd never get in, but somehow I did. <laughs> um, and the experience itself, I think, like the whole Stanford and NOC program, um, you know, Stanford campus itself is huge. It's beautiful. Um, you know, you're surrounded by smart people, not just in campus, the students, but also around campus. Yeah. Uh, interestingly, like the students in NUS are equally smart. Mm. But what I found was that surrounding the campus the whole ecosystem mm. is what sets it apart mm. uh, like you know there's a saying um, in sports that they say it takes a it takes a village to raise an athlete yeah so when it comes to startups it's a similar thing like you, you actually you need a village to raise a successful startup as well whereas in in Silicon Valley that village is actually a metropolis Mm. Um, like to give you a sense right uh, when I was uh, there for a year the yeah. classes that I was taking our lecturer was the guy who uh, basically started the lean startup movement mm. which many startups are around the world follow mm. and you know view it view him as like a god that started this customer development model mm. uh, and you know if you're sitting in a cafe in in Silicon Valley at Palo Alto mm. poof like you know on the table next door there might be Peter Thiel who yeah. <laughs> was you know one of the co-founders of PayPal or yeah. you know people like Brian Chesky and all these big names they're just Mm. So like you have all these people who who have been there and done that and that adds to the whole experience. I just, so I just spent one whole year soaking it all in. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really quite interesting when you talk about the uh, when, when you get to meet people like Peter Thiel and, and, and all these entrepreneurs, all these successful people who've been there and done that, but still in Silicon Valley. And then you know, here here you are at the NUC, NOC program. You get to go you go and rub shoulders with yeah. a sort of. Kind of reminds me of how I did an earlier interview with uh, this guy named Lois. He also he's also a founder of his own company. He also spent some time at a Silicon Valley and a different program. And he also mentioned how you know walking down the street, you can see. I think he mentioned once he saw Mark Zuckerberg or something. Yeah. Like that. And it's like the the, the the kind of thing that you don't really get get to experience in Singapore. You can you can never really have in Singapore. Well, yeah. we we're we're starting to now. You know, with with the success of these startups like yeah. Car- Carousel, exactly. You yeah. know, he's a good friend of mine, and mm. you know, in a couple of years we'll get to say that hey, you know, I was yeah. walking down and I bumped into Sure or Marcus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hopefully, it's, it's it's gonna come. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully we'll get there. All right, so let's move on from your your educational uh, history, and I want to talk about you know when you just started a career. So right out of the gate, uh, mm. after graduating, you went on to found. This company Shutterpair. 
you know, you're starting your entrepreneurial roots immediately, right? Which mm-hmm. among fresh graduates is, you know, I would consider pretty bold and, and pretty rare. Yeah. So, so I'm just wondering here, what led you to this? And, you know, are you still involved with Shutter Pair today? Yeah. So the main thing was, you know, the, the time in Silicon Valley, I was infected by the startup bug. Mm. <laughs> uh, I knew after experiencing the startup scene that, that I just had to do something on my own. Mm. Uh, and you know, Shutterpair was basically an app uh, that helps you gather fo- photos through uh, a concept of shared albums. Yeah. So if you're at a wedding or if you're traveling together, you can create a shared album and yeah. all the photos get synced. Uh, I worked on it with my buddy Josh and James, mm-hmm. who are also co-founders of Robo. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason why we started it actually was because you know. We actually, Josh and I, we went to, to NOC together mm. and we actually never got the photos that we took of each other. <laughs> so we're like, hey, this is a problem. Like, it's been a year. We've been back <laughs> and like, I don't have the photos that we took when we went to Yosemite or, you know, wherever else. <laughs> and, you know, actually, there, there's things that we did well and there's mostly things that we didn't do well. Mm. But if I would distill it down into two things, I would say... Uh, talk to users and know the space inside out like those two things are things that we didn't do well Mm. uh, and they're really key like we didn't talk enough to other people like we had the problem for ourselves but we didn't go out and and show the app to many people Mm. uh, beyond family and friends and say hey do you actually have this problem or not Mm. Uh, and you know we were okay solution to a very crowded space Mm. Uh, and so after a year or so of doing that, uh, we actually all stopped Shutterpad. It speaks volumes, I, I think, that people are able to look back on the history and reflect on their failures. You know, you're not always just thinking about how they how they succeeded, always praising themselves. But but you know, they, they can look back and see where they went wrong, and then you know, this is how people improve and this is how people grow in general, right? So I, I came across this one article, and, and, and you know, you're talking about the their failures about not talking enough to people, not, not finding the right fit. Yeah. And, and funnily enough, I was reading an, an article on, I think it was E27. Mm-hmm. They were mentioning, they were talking about uh, image sharing uh, apps that were out in the market today, and Shutterpair was one of them. But one of the criticisms they had of the app there at the time was that they said it didn't have a good market fit. That, that was what they said. Right. And it's basically this, the, the, idea, the idea behind there was that you know, they, they saw this as a, as a useful solution at, at the time, mm-hmm. but it, it's not one that you, you would go back to each day. And it- yeah, it was, it was a very crowded space. And in hindsight, we, we didn't understand, understand the space well enough. Mm. We understood that we wanted it. But we mm. didn't go out and see whether other people wanted it. And even if other people wanted it, there's a host of so many other solutions. Mm. Uh, and they actually didn't need another app. Uh, at, at the end of the day, the ones that ended up winning were my book, probably. Mm. Right? Uh, Facebook made it so easy for you to share by yeah. just tagging. Yeah. Right? You just tag someone and then you shared it with them. Yeah. Uh, and Dropbox, like if you want a more private version of sharing where you don't want the rest of the world to know, yeah. then you just create a folder and then you just add, add the photos there. Exactly. Uh, and we we weren't much better than this. Yeah. That was the yeah. problem. Alright, so after uh, after your time with Shutterpair, you know, your, your, your trials, your tribulations, all the, all the things that you went through, you and your, your co-workers, you went to Ritmart yeah. uh, for, for several years. Yeah. And you know, on, on a broad level, I just want to spend a brief time, uh, some, some time talking about this. I just want to ask you, you know, what was your experience, uh, how would you say, compare being an entrepreneur and being an employee? So I think um, you know, every role or position, you know, whether you're employee or founder, you, it has its stresses. 
Mm. It has its ups and downs. Uh, but I would say the difference between being an employee or a founder is the 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 max and min. So if, like you as as a founder, you go from really really high to really 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 low mm. in very short periods of time. Uh, whereas as an employee, there's a somewhat of a ceiling, right? Yeah. Uh, you 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 will have highs, but it will not be as high as it was your own thing, and you will have lows as well. But it won't be as low as you know if you're a founder and your startup is failing, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that's one immediate thing. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is that you know as a founder, you're constantly mm. uh, as an employee, you can sort of switch off. Uh, but as a founder, you are. It's really hard to like. You know, Thinking about fundraising, thinking about hitting your targets, you know, competitors, the new feature that you're working on, yeah. um, and like, there's so many times where I find myself wandering off mentally, like I'm physically present, yeah, and I'm ordering something at like you know wherever, mm. but my mind is somewhere else, and like no matter how much how hard I try, I switch off. Mm. So. And this was the same back when I was doing Shutter Pair as well. Mm. Um, whereas in when I was at Redmart, like I would be all in when I'm at work, and a lot of times I would work on weekends also. Which mm. you know, not that I'm recommending that, right. <laughs> but uh, you could switch. You could switch off. You could say, hey, you know what? Now I'm going to stop. I'm yeah. going to be totally present in with my family. Of yeah. yeah, yeah. And I, I think that's very very insightful that you share this sort of comparison. Sort of I think underlying this uh, this difference between being an employee and employer. You know, talking about the different highs and lows. I think really central to that is the idea of how much responsibility they have, yeah. what what they're really in charge over, right? Yeah. So this is like the, you know, you know, a lot of people, you know, there, there's some, there are a lot of people out there who will complain about, you know, how when you work for a wage, you know, you don't have you don't have that much freedom of your own life. You have to you don't have uh, much control over what you want or what uh, or don't want to do at your job. But then on the flip side, you know, you have to recognize that this is a trade-off that you're making, right? Yep. You, you, you want to be an employee because you don't want to take on the task of being an entrepreneur who has to think about all these other things that you want. And you want to be able to spend time at home with your family without having to worry about all these million other things which, yeah. which the employee, employee, uh, employer or founder or entrepreneur has to think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, 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 and I think also a really key, key part about that is that, you know, for, for the entrepreneur, this is, for, for all the people who are complaining, you know, who, who think that, oh, I hate, I hate being an employee, I hate it that I, I don't have that much freedom. If you want yeah. that freedom, you go be an entrepreneur. <laughs> but, but recognize that it's not easy as well. Yeah. yeah. It's not, it's not, you know, you might think the grass is always greener, but it's, it's a different kind of, you know, difficulty or a different kind of, yep. of, uh, 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 yeah. And, and, and that's a really interesting way that you, that you brought about. So now that we've covered your pre-Robo years, I would like to transition towards your current endeavor, the Robo app, and you know, sort of how it all began. Yeah. So in the introduction, I talked about you know, market frictions, how do you restrict access. So firstly, what were the frictions that you saw or personally experienced in the sport of tennis? And, you know, how much of a hindrance did you think it was to amateur level players in, in Singapore? So actually, I think the biggest hindrance, and like not just for tennis, but really any sport, mm. is the lack of a network. The moment you get out of school, mm. so like almost every single one of us used to play a lot more when we were in school. We had more time, and yeah. we also had a network of people. Like uh, you, you could call upon your friends who are same school or mm. in your same class who play the same sport, yeah. uh, and you could go and play. But once you get out of that, it's actually really. Um, of the right level mm -hmm. 
and near you. Mm. Uh, so and yeah, this, so this is actually for all all sports, not just tennis. Tennis. Mm-hmm. Um, like myself personally, I used to use online forums once I got out of school. Yeah. Uh, and but the pain there was like you know finding someone of my level yeah. was tough. Like uh, I recall like many times where I'd pay twenty dollar taxi. Yeah. Uh, after I found someone on yeah. meetup.com or so go over to their place yeah. and then we'll start to play and then you know we can't like couldn't get the ball over yeah. and you know <laughs> so it, it's it's a little bit disappointing uh, and to me that's that's the thing like uh, and that's what Rovo solves it helps you find people of your level to play with yeah. uh, nearby just the whole concept and the whole thing that Rovo does is you to play more sports yeah exactly and, and, and I love that you you know brought about the experience about using online forums there was a period where, you know, uh, after and, and and you know, as as well to the point of uh, you saying how you know it's so difficult to find players once you're outside of school, right? Yeah. I used to play a lot of tennis back when I was the yeah. I played competitively in A division, and you know I had a, like a small group of friends that I would sit on the weekends with outside school. Yeah, there you go. But but once but once we went to army, once we went to university, you sort of stopped seeing each other. You sort of drop out of contact. Yeah. And then there there are times when you know you watch uh, te- the tennis on television, you get an inkling to play, but then there's no one yeah. to play with. Yeah. And, and 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 the problem of you know finding someone to play, but but not just finding someone to play, finding someone of a, of a decent level to play with. That is also another problem. Well, as well, and, and I want to go deeper into this because, to people who don't play tennis, I don't think it's you, you can quite understand, right? Yeah, yeah, because like you know, they think that oh, tennis is just two people hitting and hitting a ball back back and forth. You know what what's so what's what's so tough about it, right? Surely, if if uh, if an amateur player and a professional player just hit it back and forth, it'll be fun for the both of them, right? Yeah. So so why isn't this the case? Yeah. So so tennis is in the category of what we call a counterintuitive. Mm. Um, so if you if you um, you know wanted to play soccer for example, you could spend some time probably without a coach, yeah. train yourself, yeah. maybe watch some videos, yeah. kick the ball, and you will learn, right? It's mm-hmm. intuitive enough to yeah. the natural motion that you do without anybody telling you, yeah. chances are it's the right motion, mm-hmm. right? Unless you want to go to a really professional level, then yes, you do need some coach. But to get started, you don't need to. Mm-hmm. But whereas for tennis, mm-hmm. like even to get to a basic level, uh, the things that you do that you would do naturally, which is use your arm, yeah. use your wrist, yeah. uh, those kind of movements actually one they they are very injury prone, mm-hmm. uh, and two you don't get the consistency and control to be able to rally you know yeah. ten times, fifteen times, and that's where the fun is, right? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, maybe squash is a better example than than soccer in that case. Like mm. Squash is an intuitive sport. Mm. Like you could go in. And hit the ball around yeah. and use your wrist. You will not be able to go to like an extreme high quality level without coaching, but, but you can still, get started. You're still having fun, right? Yeah. yeah. With tennis, it's it's counterintuitive. You need to you need to unlearn the natural way that you swing a racket to be able to have a good game. Yeah, and and also the point about and also another reason why you need to have a, a player who is of a similar similar level to you is because that for one, say say you're you're mismatched significantly yeah. in terms of skill, even even if you're hitting back and forth, the quality of your play may not be, you know, that desirable for yeah. either one. For example, on, on, on for the amateur, he might be struggling to catch a lot of the ball. You know, he, he might be hitting, you know, off off. Uh, he might be mishitting a lot of the times. Yeah. He doesn't have the correct technique. He's just, you know, trying to push the ball back. And for for the guy who is a bit more experienced, who has a little bit more skilled, you know, he's not getting challenged at all. It's, to him, it's just 
pushing the the, the other player back and forth. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. This, so that, that's why actually the matching is really key, and that's mm. the first thing that we did. We knew that we wanted to do that well. Mm. Uh, so in the very first version of Robo, we we did a we built the self, mm. um, and I think that's one of the things that we do better than anybody else. Mm. So so you know you talked about. Uh, tennis being sort of a counter tool, yeah. and you know, you know how you got to unlearn yourself. And but but in terms of the app itself, you yeah. know, I, I just I just want to share that when Robo first launched in yeah. in you know some I think it was June or July 2017. I just thought this is incredible. Why hasn't anyone <laughs> thought of this before? Yeah. So 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 this time round, you know, your second time creating an app. Did, did you think did did you did you sort of survey the market to sort of, sort of see why there was another app that was doing the same thing? Or you know why? Why do you think that there hasn't been an app such as Robo that allows tennis players or, or you know, other sports to find each other? Uh, so actually, there there have been there have been an, uh, a lot of people who've tried to do this before. Mm. I think the majority of them um, are still on web. Mm. So so that's one challenge. You know, you want to be arranging games while you're on the go, right? Mm. Uh, it's, uh, that's one thing. Uh, the other thing is, I think. The the skill assessment thing we we do because I guess I play tennis and you know one of the other founders Joshua also plays and we went through the pain of like beating people and not being able to get the ball over yeah and so we we knew we had to solve that first because yeah the, the we we wanted quality games we didn't want just people to match up which which you can find other for yeah uh, we you can find other apps doing that mm. but we wanted to make sure that after you match up. You go to the court and you actually have a good game, mm. uh, and that's yeah, that's something I I don't know why somebody else hasn't done it, but probably <laughs> it just could be that had the bad experience. Yeah, yeah, and, and and I remember you you talking about you know how you used to use web forums and stuff like that, right? Yes. You think maybe it's a case that you know of course on a on a web forum you can just post like on you know, board or open like a, a new post and just say what hey I'm looking to play on like yeah. I'm of this particular skill level maybe a, a rating three three point five or something. Yeah. So do you think maybe in the case there it's a bit more of like a, a self self reporting problem or like people people yeah. are, you know, overestimating their own ability? Yeah, like yeah. That? So yeah, that's the thing that we 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 flipped actually. So mm. a, a, there is this uh, rating system called the NTRP system, right? Yeah. It grades people from one to seven. One is like a beginner. Seven is like Roger Federer. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you. You basically look at this really complex matrix, fifteen dimensions in total, mm. uh, whatever that, is. and it's really hard for you to pinpoint where you are. Mm. So people would look at that matrix and like, mm, I'm kind of maybe a four. Like my forehand is really weak, but then my backhand is strong, mm. so maybe I'm a three. Um, but we flipped it around, so we we would get you to describe, right? Describe to us how your forehand, yeah. describe how it is, yeah. and then we will tell you what your level is. Yeah. Uh, and actually, that has made accuracy level. Significantly better. Yeah. Um, like you know, we we actually looked through some of the stats, uh, mm. like the anonymized feedback that players give to each other, mm -hmm. and we have ninety percent of players say uh, giving the other player five stars, and they're likely to play again, mm. which is a strong correlation of you know you had a good game because it was a good level. All right, so I want to talk about uh, starting Robo in general, and you know this being your second time around uh, yep. as as an app developer, app creator. Right, so how different did you think that was your entrepreneurial process this time around compared to when you first founded? Yeah, the, so the first thing that we did, we didn't tell 
any family or friends. Really? So it, it actually, so Rovo actually started out just as a hobby. Like mm. me, Josh, uh, James and Danny, we were still at Redmart. Yeah. Uh, we never had the intention of making this a serious thing. Yeah. We liked building stuff together on projects before. Mm. So we're like, hey, let's just do stuff for fun. Yeah. We were having dinner and we're like, hey, you know, I have this thing. I think it can work. It'll be fun to do. And then Josh said, oh yeah, actually I had a similar idea okay. where we can basically profile people and then match them based on the spot. Mm. And he's, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll try to work something out. And he basically, you know, Danny did some designs yeah. uh, and then Josh built like the first mock-up version of that with a uh, And then we're like, oh, okay, let's, let's try it out. And it was basically just always meant to be a mm. um, and, uh, one day of and we decided though that you know back to the point about not telling family and friends yeah when the first startup that we, that we did uh, yeah. Shutterpad, we after building the version we told all our friends and family yeah and all friends and family because they want to be supportive yeah. they'll say this is the best thing ever this is <laughs> you're going to be huge this is awesome yeah. but they don't actually use it yeah like they they want to be supportive they want to give you the encouragement but yeah. actually the best advice would have been like, this is crap, I would not use, mm. right? Um, so we decided that we weren't going to get officially uh, yeah. convinced that this was a good thing. Yeah. We didn't tell any friends, any family. So basically everyone who got on Rover were. And when, when we got to a point where we were very small, like you know, got 400, 500 people mm. uh, who we didn't know arranging. Yeah. And then my brother-in-law who plays tennis is like, hey, you have you heard about this app? <laughs> And like, yeah, you know what? I'm actually the one who built it. Uh, and he's like, no way. Um, and it's a wonderful know, app. Yeah, it's, it's an awesome app. And then we know, okay, this is this this has potential, right? Mm. Uh, going from something that you know we love and and it's total best use case for us, but then friends and family tell us it's the most awesome thing, but nobody uses it. Mm versus that we just did it as a hobby and then everybody is telling us hey this is awesome i've been waiting for something like this mm. um, so yeah that was the one key thing that yeah. we did. So, so 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 you mentioned that you, you're doing it as a hobby right the yeah. team of the, the core team of you guys just, just did it as a hobby you know in the weekend and then when it started to grow up so so and, and, and build up in the user base but when was the moment that you decided oh this is something that we could actually do take the leap to to leave a rip i think it was about the time where you know one was Red Redmart was also uh, was acquired by Lazada, mm. which is owned by Alibaba. So uh, we always knew that we wanted to do something of my own, or, of our own, uh, or at least I, let me speak for myself. I knew I wanted that. Yeah. I know Josh did too. Mm -hmm. um, but it was always like me. It, it's about can we have an idea or something that people want? Like we didn't want it, right? Yeah. So, uh, and after the three to four years of being at Redmond, we felt like learned enough to be able to do something of our own. Mm. Uh, and it was a logical point where, you know, Redmond, we've been there for about four years, saw the company go from number 10 or 11 or like 50 employees yeah. to like 1,000 employees. Yeah. All the ups and downs and what to do, what not to do. We learned experience and yeah. uh, it was at a point where we felt we could do it. Uh, and we had something that was worthwhile. Uh, in terms of numbers, I would say we didn't have that many number of people mm. in Singapore. Mm. Uh, was it was it around June the, the official launch, or, or did you release it earlier? We we actually so we actually released Rovo uh, around July 2016, like mm. the first version of that. Oh, wow. uh, and July to December, it was really really low. Uh, an update maybe a month or every two months slow. Yeah, uh, but. 
I think around the point, the point where Rovo, the tennis players in Rovo, real people, there was enough people within um, the app. Mm. So then we started, like people were, were downloading and actually in, arranging games mm-hmm. organically. Yeah. Uh, and then we thought, okay, cool. Yeah. Because prior to that, it was a lot of people interested. Yeah. And they say this is an awesome thing, but not arranging. So we mm. thought maybe, you know, it's going to be like Chatter. Mm. Uh, but actually, it was something that they wanted, but they weren't arranging games because there were just not enough people. There wasn't enough density. You know, I, I, I sort of want to want to harken back to, to the overarching theme of this episode, you know, talking about build, you know, crushing, eliminating the market friction, making yeah. it easier for players, other players, for games and stuff like that. This is what you saw in real time start to happen when that when yeah. that uh, user base start to build up, right? Yeah. Is that once more people start to, 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 to use the app, to organize games and stuff like that, it's like, hey, all these, uh, suddenly it becomes a lot easier for a lot of these players to play. That's more value. Yeah. So, so lastly on the point about, you know, experience, I just want to ask, you know, in hindsight, is there something that you wish that you could have done with uh, Shutterbug when you first started? That uh, you wish you could have done different? Uh, definitely things would be the talk to users mm. would be, I would say number one. Yeah. Like, talk to users constantly. That's what we do in Rovo yeah. a lot now. Yeah. Like, <laughs> we message like initially it was just me, now it's the four of us. Mm. We message every single person who joins Rovo. Yeah. Uh, originally, we would just send them welcome messages. Yeah. Now we've started checking a week after they join as well. Yeah. Uh, and we'll probably add more. Mm. You just learn so much from that. A lot of the features that we've built on Rovo, it's because of talking to people, mm. uh, talking to users, and then, then t- them telling us what works, what doesn't work, and then we just keep it. That's something we didn't do at Shutterpair. We sort of took it for granted that we want it, they want it, and what we want, they want. It's not the case. (laughs) Alright, so you've identified the problem, you've come up with a solution, in terms of robot that you might think might work. But of course, you know, as you've alluded to uh, earlier, it is really the case, you know, that, that you can get it right the first time yep. uh, round, and which is why we like to discuss, especially in the case of building an app, you know, how you have developed Rovo. So, you know, you know, earlier you talked, just, just, just now you talked about, you know, how, how you, you, you will go on and, and request feedback from players, right? I think, yeah. I think it's quite interesting to share that this is how I got in touch with you, Ritesh. Yeah. Is that I, I was, I was an early adopter of the app. I, I think you had an official launch. I would say, I, I call it an official launch because it was the yeah. first time I saw it in Facebook, yeah. right? It was around June or July, that period. Mm-hmm. And I was really, really caught off guard when you contacted me one day, yeah. you know, to, to ask for feedback. You know, you know this, so, so this is some random guy saying, you know, hey, I'm, I'm the founder of the app. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do you think about it? Now, because, because I really am an, an, an early adopter of anything else. It's just that this time around, I saw, hey, this, is a, this app is really intuitive. I want to get on this yeah. as quick as possible. And I was really, really pleasant, pleasantly surprised. So I, I just want, I just want to, I just want to get deeper into this. You know, yep. what, how important do you think? What kind of value do you think is uh, that does user feedback bring? Uh, probably the most important. Mm. Uh, I would say not just early stages, like all stages of the company. Getting feedback and constantly iterating is really the the single most important thing above everything else. Mm. So like. We build an app, we yeah. focus on technology, yes, but ultimately it's to help people to play more. So if you continuously talk to your users and, and understand how they use you and how, why they don't use you, yeah. um, the technology can change. Yeah. We may not be an app in future, yeah. but, ulti- but 
we will always be helping people to play more, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in as as you start out early on, it's the most important thing. If you don't talk to users, as we didn't do in Shutterpair, you will die. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to do it all the way through. Like the 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 example of you know, some of the features, like uh, doubles. We originally launched tennis only with the singles option, yeah. and that was the biggest complaint. Like, <laughs> why do you not support doubles? Uh, and so we added that. Yeah. Uh, the the one star reviews that we get on off our uh, App Store and yeah. uh, Google Play Store, yeah. all were about why do you not have non Facebook. Uh, so like all all these things add up and. Um, you we we keep just constantly doing what what our users want, and it starts to compound. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and, and I think this is a wonderful uh, testament to sort of the your your, your role in society in, in, on a broader level as entrepreneurs. Yeah. Because you know, sometimes people in in a society we don't really look at what entrepreneurs do. We don't really think about what they do on a bigger level. Yeah. We just know that hey, they look pretty cool because they're doing something. Uh, that that I don't have the guts to do, and then they they look pretty cool. They look pretty powerful. They look like you know they're they're doing all these things because you know they they have a selfish drive or something. But at at the core of the entrepreneur, at the core of a successful business, a successful company is one that ultimately is able to serve their market well. Yeah. And and this is what I love about what what you just said about feedback is that how you think it's one of the most important thing because ultimately you know the point about. The point of having Robo is one that will help to eliminate frictions, make it easier for players to play. Yeah. And 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 one of the best ways to make that better, that 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 thing that can eliminate frictions, is to listen to how uh, yeah. pl- players uh, players uh, give feedback. So, <laughs> I just want I just want to ask ask this question, right? Because yeah. you know you 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 go around you and your your co-founders, you go around personally chatting up uh, Robo <laughs> players, right? Yeah. <laughs> Asking for feedback. Yeah. So 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 I, w- I want to ask, do you think other founders are as Proactive as you, you know, impersonally seeking feedback from users, or do you think you're a bit more casual than them <laughs> in this regard? Um, no, every single one, but I, I would say, yeah, I, I know of a few who do. Mm. Um, I know the Carousel guys, there, like mm. good friends of mine. Mm. Uh, they they used to do this too, and I think they still do it, mm. uh, which is crazy. I think maybe now they have a team that helps them because you, at their scale, you just can't. It's already hard for us. I can't imagine them doing it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but they sort of train the rest how to do it mm. uh, and look at them, right? Mm. Uh, I think they, they are where they are because they've constantly delivered on what their users want. Yeah. The famous story also of like where yeah. uh, get, uh, Brian Chesky, right? Yeah. Uh, he used to go stay in host houses to learn about you know what are their problems how do they use the platform mm. they would have take give them the excuse that hey we'll go come take nice pictures of your apartment yeah. so that you can get more sales yeah but really they will go in and and, and talk to their users yeah uh, I, th- I think those are the two main ones that I know but mm. I'm pretty sure other founders do it too I think the Airbnb guys when they go and stay in other people's homes they're taking it yeah. <laughs> next level right yeah yeah and it's quite interesting too because I remember hearing about uh, I think the founder was talking to an interview it was an interview talking about his early days at Airbnb building and, and there, was, there was a part where he was he was noting how growth was stalling people were not signing up to the, the apartments yeah. and they, they through feedback they managed to find out that one of the reasons why was that because you know homeowners weren't taking nice enough yeah. they weren't making appealing enough and once they, they taught users how to take better pictures the user growth started building up yeah. and you know it, it made it better 
All right. So you know, we talked about how you know feedback uh, changes the different parts of Robo, makes it makes it, develops the product. So yeah. I just want to share this uh, this part, and I want to focus, go a little bit deeper on this, right? So yeah. in terms of uh, developing the user interface in the app, I think it's quite interesting to point out how much it has changed since the beginning. Yeah. Uh, when, when Robo first came out, I was telling my friends that it was you know like Tinder for tennis. Yeah. Because. <laughs> The design of the matching system was very, very similar to to how Tinder was, with the profile coming up, and then you just swipe, you know, left or right, right, yep. to, to to see who you wanted to pair up with. Yep. So, could you talk us through some of the other major changes that Robo has made? You know, uh, you know, you mentioned the doubles being included and stuff like that. Yeah. And and you know how you've incorporated user feedback in these changes. Yeah. So like this, the the Tinder for tennis came up a lot. Like even <laughs> when we were talking to our users, they were like, "Oh, this is an awesome app. Feels like yeah. Tinder for tennis." And then. Um, we we actually made a deliberate effort to stay away from that. Um, mm. We we knew we we knew we never want to be a dating app. You know, we're an app that helps people to play more sports. Yeah. Um, but just just by that interface of swiping left or right, yeah. people make the connection and think of us as a date. Uh, oh, so really? yeah. yeah, yeah. So so. Mm. I mean, you, you yourself called it Tinder for tennis, well, right? I just look at uh, it as a surface level. I didn't yeah. think of it as using it as a dating tool. Yeah. yeah, but even even like well, when when you tell your friends, yeah. the word sort of spreads that way, and then the brand around like yeah. the brand of Rovo becomes more towards dating. Mm. And when you come into the app, you have the mindset that oh, it's Tinder for tennis, yeah. uh, and then you're surprised and 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 press hope. Hopefully, pleasantly surprised that it's not <laughs> yeah. for dating, uh, but we wanted to stay away from that. Mm. Uh, in fact, there were a group of users that arranged a lot of games through the app, and you know they would say, "I would get some weird requests from time to time." This is supposed <laughs> to be a sports app, yeah. uh, and I, and I feel like the 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 interface of swiping yeah, makes it feel like a dating app. Mm. And we got that actually. At first, we weren't convinced. We say, okay, well, let's let's see if we get more of this feedback. And we got that consistently. Mm. Uh, and then it also turns out that uh, one was, you know, we wanted to switch away from dating, and a lot of our users said this feel like it. Mm-hmm. The other thing was a lot of users felt that uh, it's hard to choose. Like just purely from a user experience point of view, mm. with the Tinder UI, you decide like this person, yes yeah. or no. Yeah. Right. Whereas with tennis. Maybe that works for dating, but for tennis, it's like okay, I have a range of four options. Yeah. If I say yes or no to the person, doesn't actually mean anything personal, right? Mm-hmm. It's just okay. Maybe uh, this guy has a better serve. Like you know, you look at the badges: super forehand yeah. or super backhand. Yeah. I want to I want to play with someone who has who has a good forehand. Mm-hmm. And so we've we've changed the the, the interface now. So it's no longer r- swipe right or left. Mm. We actually show you a list. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's one of the things that we've done partly because of the user feedback and also because we just want to stay steer away from this connotation of being yeah. a dating app. So how how, how have uh, players responded to that change? It's been good. Yeah. yeah. So the the folks that originally suggested this feature yeah. they actually now reach out to me and say hey, finally you did this thanks so much um, and I don't know whether people still refer to us as Tinder for tennis we'll see yeah. I guess that one will take a while to 
hear out. Yeah, I apologize for sort of making that connotation with my friends in the first place. I'm no, no, that, I mean that, that's future. fine. It's not yeah. your fault. It's, yeah. it's it's our fault for for you know designing it that way. But yeah, it's, there's no harm done. Right? Yeah. So 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 in, in, you you brought up an interesting point, and one of the features of of Robo is yeah. that you have this sort of feedback mechanism between players themselves, not between the player and the the, the founders such as you guys, yeah. but between players after they play a game, you know, they can give each other feedback. How likely? I think one of them is the the, the, the primary one is how likely you are to play with each other again. Yes. And then you have, you know, uh, how could they improve and then, you know, would, would you like to assign like a badge? Yep. So could you talk about, you know, how these uh, little things uh, add to sort of the, 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 the matching system and how it makes it easier for players? Yeah, so based on the based on the feedback that we receive, mm. um, one is how how likely you are, yeah. uh, you want, how likely are you to play with that person again? Yeah. We will, in the background, like suggest that person more. Mm. Um, whereas if you say that I'm not show that person less mm. um, we we haven't yet got to the point where we use that data to suggestion to review the rating mm. so that's something that we will probably do in future yeah. but I think there's a f- we, we haven't found that balance yet and right now we are erring to the side of the community is mature enough the users are mature enough mm. and they will auto calibrate themselves yeah. uh, we don't want to Decentivize people, incentivize people from playing more yeah. uh, unnecessarily. Yeah. Not until we found a good way to do and, it. And, and, and I like that. I mean, you know, people are, ma- are mature enough to to think that you know, if if you if you rate yourself as a maybe a four point five, yeah. but then really you're just a three, and yeah. you're getting matched up with all these four point five players, and you're getting killed out there. You know, you know, you're, 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 you know deep down that you're not. Yeah. So why, why still maintain that sort of? I mean, event? most people do. Like I personally, every time I play a game, mm. like one of the things I will do is like go and redo my assessment. <laughs> yeah. And over time, I keep doing it until like I know where I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and, and also you know, I, I just want to sort of share that. And at this point of reassessing, I think it's it's really it's really a valuable tool to have in a, in an app such as Robo because the the matching system and the value that you get out of the Robo because you know. It means that you're matching more accurately to sort of other players at your level. Yeah. At the at the start, because uh, because I was getting back from like a, a few years hiatus, I hadn't played tennis in a while. I was a little bit rusty. I put myself at a 3.0. Yeah. And then <laughs> the first few games I was getting it wasn't really a very nice experience. Yeah. I, I stayed away from the app for a while, but when I came back, I redid my assessment, and the games have been a lot more competitive, a lot nice. more depth. It, it really really points out how effective this sort of feedback mechanism. So, all right. So, so speaking of new features, right? Yeah. Uh, one new feature that I'm pretty excited and really excited to talk about is uh, called Rovo Pulse yep. and the new rankings, yep. which in itself introduces a ton of depth and uh, competitive play to the way amateurs normally play tennis. So, can you briefly describe, you know, what what it does and how you decided upon introducing? So, the key thing that started it off was like again user feedback. Mm. One of the biggest user feedback was like, hey, uh, I want to be able to add match scores. Mm. Um, and the another feedback was like, I want to be able to play, like find people to play more competitively. Mm. So we kind of combine those two together with yeah. this feature where once you find someone to play with, you can say, hey, I want to play a ranked match. Yeah. And when you play uh, after your game or during your game, you can add your score. Mm-hmm. And based upon the score, like if you win or lose, you earn or lose points. Yeah. And the points that you get are based on difference in level. Mm-hmm. So everybody sort of starts off at a level based mm-hmm. on their skill level. Yeah. So like there, there's a rating sort of level 
mm-hmm. uh, and then there's the skill level which is one yeah so for example the rating level you start off at a thousand but it's not uh, visible to you until you play three games because it takes about for us about three games to figure out what your true level is yeah so you the idea is you play three matches you win some you lose some and then you get a point to be like thousand one hundred and then then you go on and play more uh, yeah. and the more you play the more points you get if you keep winning yeah but if you let's say if you're like a 5.0 yeah and you play a match with a 2.0 yeah and you lose that match yeah then you're gonna lose quite a lot of points because you, you should have won yeah because theoretically uh, there's no way you should have lost right? yeah. yeah so that system is sort of like semi-competitive but it adds a fun element mm-hmm. uh when you earn those points you get uh, ranked in a leaderboard yeah uh, so you can see your ranking in your city yeah. or amongst your friends yeah. uh so it it's been pretty fun like seeing seeing a lot of players use that feature to end now uh, there's a there's a certain set of users who play multiple times a week mm. because they want to go up their ranking <laughs> uh, and it's all good because they actually improve mm. right so they reach out to me and say hey this feature actually is getting me to play even more tennis yeah and by playing different people yeah i'm improving a lot yeah so it's the whole purpose of of Rome. yeah yeah and and i just love that you you talk at the end how this competition how it sort of incentivizes people makes the game more interesting gets them and you've actually seen people playing a lot more yeah you know you know some sometimes people look look at ranking systems such as such as this and they think you know why would anyone care about arbitrary internet yeah but <laughs> but it's like I I play, I used to play like uh, online games where you, where they have the same a very similar rank you know this point system each time you win or lose you get really passionate yeah because because the one at the for one thing it is it, it is a better measure of your true skill yeah. if you constantly play and update yourself so 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 you know when when you play and you when you improve you can people can be really proud of that and say okay I made an achievement I become a better player than and at the same time you know you know on the other end people sometimes they're a bit shy to say you know yeah, I'm I'm alright but but still still it, it gives them something to look forward to and and sort of give them more stake or or, or meat or it adds a, adds a whole lot of this uh, especially at the club level which we didn't have before yeah. Robo came out so, yeah. <laughs> All right. So finally, right. Um, I would like to touch briefly on Robo's business. Yep. Okay. So currently, Robo does not charge users at all for using the app. Yeah. Neither does it does for you know any of the different features that it has. Yeah. So I mean, you guys and your founders, you still have to eat. Yeah. You still have you know uh, to to buy food. You still have to to pay for transport. So yeah. how how does the business stay afloat? Yeah. And how you know, or 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 how you know, or sort of more broad level, are you planning to generate income in the future? Yeah. So yeah, I mean, we we are pre revenue right now, mm. uh, but we do have plans to generate yeah. uh, revenue in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, the way we see it, I mean, we we're still sort of figuring this out as we go. Yeah. Uh, at a broad level, if you use the if you use Robo, um, you don't use it for commercial purposes, mm-hmm. then it's free. Mm-hmm. But if you use Robo for commercial purposes, then mm-hmm. um, so this leads into coaching, yeah. things like booking courts or buying merchandise and yeah. things like all all areas that that we will go to in the future. Uh, but you know, right now we are percent focused on. Building the best experience uh, and having the foundation where it's the best app for you play. Yeah. Uh, like if you are itching to play any sport, uh, you immediately will open up Robo. Yeah. And within minutes, you'll arrange a game. Yeah. Like that's the point where we want to be. 
So, so are you guys just like living off your savings from from Redmart, yeah. or do you actually have any funding coming into Robo at the moment? Yeah, I, we we do have investment mm -hmm. from. Very lucky to have very this. Yeah. Uh, which we we haven't disclosed yet. We yeah. do plan to disclose it yeah, soon you, at some you point. You don't have to disclose. Don't uh, worry. Yeah. Yeah. So look look out for news around that. <laughs> All right. So. With that comes the end of the of the segment, and at this point, I would like to tie it up with the show's introduction to highlight once again how entrepreneurs such as Ritesh of Robo are cutting down market frictions by increasing access and convenience, which ultimately creates immense value for individuals. And in fact, I think a very clear sign of Robo's commitment to creating value for tennis players can be seen in their hashtag #PlayMore, which is a very very indicative of their of their mission statement, and which is stamped. On each blog entry, and perfectly captures what the app allows individuals. So, for that, on behalf of the badminton squash and especially the tennis community, I am immensely grateful to you and your team at Robo for the. Thank you so much, Danny. Thank, Thank you. you. It's a pleasure. And with that, brings the end to today's episode. Thank you once again, Ritesh, for coming on the show. It has been an absolute pleasure interviewing you, and I wish your team, you and your team at Robo, the very future. So, are there any other, you know, Robo-related news and? You would like to share, or any other place where people do, or you know, give you feedback. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, you, they, I think those on Robo probably know. Just yeah. look in your inbox, and then <laughs> search me, and then just tell me yeah. whatever feedback you have. Yeah. And yeah. you know, I think this this year will be very exciting for us. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we'll be going all out in terms, yeah. of, both in terms of more sports and other places. So yeah. there's going to be hopefully a lot of people. Will be inspired to play more yeah. through Rovo. Yeah, uh, and I very much look forward to that and seeing how the company grows. Both companies, its features. Uh, what? Thanks so much for having me, Danny. Yeah, pleasure yeah. being here. To the listeners out there, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for tuning in. I appreciate your patience in coming up with content. I know that some of you have been starving for some grains of capitalism, and I'm really excited that the podcast is officially underway for the year, where I guarantee that there'll be bigger and better things to come. Again, if you want to help out the podcast, you can do so by sharing and subscribing to the Economical Rice Podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. Or as we've learned today, you can leave feedback or questions on the various social media pages at Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Indeed, if you noticed. The very inclusion of the newly added transition music was in itself because of feedback raised by my lovely fiance. Thank you once again. This has been your host Danny at the Economical Rice Podcast, where we're here we have to serve you the grains of capitalism. Mm -hmm.